Hello, I'm Richard Fieldhouse. And I'm Sarah Chambers of the NASGP. And we are today recording a podcast on the latest October edition of the Sessional GP magazine. Uh, It's our 91st edition. And Sarah, you've been reviewing it today. So... um, what do you make of it? Sure. Oh, and we also, we must remember at the end, Richard, we were going to just sort of, in any other business, talk about the low form solo. That's debacle. right. Yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, again, a wide ranging, uh, wide ranging articles in the magazine, everything from looking after your finances to looking after your uh, mental well-being to some clinical stuff and some really interesting bits from Judith Harvey and uh, Richard, actually, you wrote the lead editorial this month, and it's called uh, M&M's and your T's and C's. Are you nuts or a smarty? Um, it was really entertaining, really brilliant. But can you tell us how? what are M&M's for those of us that don't know? And how do they relate to locum terms and conditions? Yes, well, I didn't quite know what M&M's were. <laughs> uh, myself, so, so I actually bought a packet of the other day and they were delicious, although I got the peanut version rather than the chocolate version. Basically, oh, they're, hence they're, the title. Hence the title. Your witticism in yes, the title. It, it's, right, it, okay. it's embedded throughout, um, but they're basically Smarties. Um, and, it, and it goes with a story um, that, that you've probably heard of, of prima donna type rock stars putting uh, quite bizarre riders in their... Um, they're sort of terms and conditions, as it were, when they go when they go around around the country gigging, uh, and one of these is is um, with with Van Halen, who um, has got their their rider was was M and M's with, uh, but with all the brown ones removed. They want a bowl of M and M's in their dressing room, no brown ones. Yeah, right. And 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 it was and and that clause was buried deep within this telephone directory worth of of um, terms and conditions, which was all about, it was basically the technical specification for setting up the gig venue, because they, in the 70s, were going this 100, um, 100 gig tours over a year. Um, they would carry, rather, rather than tour with just the standard three articulated lorries, they would tour with nine. They had pyrotechnic displays, yeah. levers, pulleys, winches, all that sort of stuff. So when they arrived on this really heavy schedule at a venue, they wanted to make sure that everything was set up perfectly and safely because the sort of antics they would get up to on stage could be life-threatening if, if things weren't done properly. So hidden in their terms and conditions um, was this M&M clause. So the first thing um, Roth, the, the lead singer, would do when he arrived at the gig is go straight to his bowl of M&Ms. <laughs> and if there are any brown ones in there, or weren't any M's, M&Ms at all... He would have to stop everything. They'd have to do a complete safety check of the whole venue, um, and of course, on a few occasions, he ended up trashing the uh, <laughs> the um, uh, dressing room. I guess because he probably was tired and it was sick of this happening every time. But but underlying all this um, is a really serious point um, that we can take away. I think I think as, as GPs, especially working in lots of different practices. With our work with the NESGP's SPIP, Standardised Practice Information Portal, we've come across at least 500 different bits and items of information that a GP needs at their fingertips for potentially the next consultation. Your next patient could require any one of these different bits of information. And of course, within many of those are lots of safety th- features. How does this practice organise it? it? It's prescribing. How do you how are patients notified of results? And if you don't know that, you could end up seriously um, um, causing harm um, or being or being part part of that mm. and that affects you um, so so th- this article it sort of alludes to how we as as GPs 
um, particularly locums working different practices, can either using the NESGP's own terms and conditions generator, terms and conditions generator, should I say, which is all part of our online invoicing system that you that you can use to embed. Uh, not even embed things in there, but just know, know in the back of our heads that there are things we need to ask practices when we go there that can help us quickly identify if this practice has really thought about um, these these issues or it just hasn't. Mm. Um, I think and you call them trip trip wires. Trip wires, yeah. yeah so the brown M M&M, and brown brown M and M's, and um, I, I instantly thought for me what one of my trip-wise is, is how uh, what the reception is like when I arrive at a practice if I'm met by somebody who appears to know that I was coming <laughs> and uh, and seems to know my name and you know it seems to, to sort of oh hello and, and seems to know then go into a well-oiled uh, you know welcome and induction routine I, I, I sort of feel a lot happier if it's uh, at the other end of the spectrum oh uh, you know, not even sure you're coming. Not you know, you're in room nine with no no other um, introduction. That that can be a marker. That's my little tripwire for. Ooh, actually, this the the practice might not have thought about about this. The system perhaps isn't in place to just shepherd yeah. things through. So, so yeah, we have we use very clear terms conditions about you know we must have a username and password, our own unique secret username and password on me to a practice and if a practice hasn't organized that for us we know they haven't read mm. the, the description therefore that we could end up seeing um 20 instead of 15 patients or mm. they could put us down for visits when we hadn't actually done that i i, I think it's a really i know you um i think it's a really in, important uh, point to make that it's not being it's not being pernickety or expecting a red carpet when you arrive at practices it is about so much of what the nhgp is, is using our perspective as locums to pick up on these uh, small things which in themselves are important but can also be markers of bigger things and to point them out and to, to try and think of really constructive ways to improve the whole the whole system and that's certainly a lot about uh, what well, you know, it's part of why we did spip and um actually coming up with spit it makes me think that um i guess because it is <laughs> reflecting general practice it's quite a big a big beast is spip it's going to say got these 500 pages so we're going to make this uh, we're going to tilt it slightly so that it's uh, a more concise low compact that will have things uh really embedded in it like a pre-arrival checklist which we currently yeah. have on the w- uh, website to download so these these brown m&ms we're going to try and pick them out and put them into this low compact um so I like what you did there with yeah. the M&Ms. Thank you. And what, what other articles uh, uh, did you pick out? Okay. So, I mean, if we can continue, if you like, the safety theme, we had an article from Rachel Birch, who is a sessional GP herself, but also is a medico-legal uh, writer with the MPS. And she has an article that she's written, Can You Just Sign This For Me? Again, really... Uh, pertinent. She she gets these two scenarios of a, a locum in an unfamiliar practice um, being caught on the hop uh, to to sign in one case an X-ray request and in another case uh, a prescription an acute prescription on behalf of a of a nurse. Um, and you know what what do you, what do you do? This must be uh, certainly it's a very familiar scenario for me. Um, and it's always that sort of slightly awkward, you know, moment. And, I've, and some of the best teaching and support I've had throughout my medical uh, 
student days of my career and training have has come from nurses but when you're in an unfamiliar practice and a person approaches you with a script uh, when you're on your way down the corridor to call in the next patient and you've got all this you've just done a quick look through the new patient's notes and you try and remember their name and then you get this person who might be wearing a uniform sometimes not saying oh I'm so and so I'm working can you sign this it's a really uh, awkward moment if you if you don't know that person's experience qualifications it's all quite confusing um and rachel says this in the article that in her scenario the nurse becomes quite irritated and i've certainly had that where i've you know people can be quite offended if you sort of say i'm sorry i don't know i don't i don't work here normally i don't know who you are um it can be quite a tense moment um so i love that she's got that sort of safety aspect in there um on the going back to the, the to the signing prescription things that again is really uh, interesting that she's raised that because i've just we, i've just completed in our locum chamber um a prescribing survey amongst our locums mm-hmm. uh, in the chamber where i work and i think it was about 55 60 locums uh, took part which is brilliant and it was asking precisely, you know, the, their views and experiences of signing prescriptions like this, um, you know, when they're generated by others, be it repeat batches of repeat prescriptions or being um, accosted with acute prescriptions. And um, it, it was the real theme coming through was that people felt a bit that they really did have high levels of not understanding fully what the practice systems were when they really thought about it. But wanting to help, desperately wanting to help, or, or under pressure practice. at all, yeah, and and feeling time pressured actually, and that that was one of the key comments that we need, we need to be a bit more like Van Halen, not just locums, but the whole of general practice probably <laughs> needs to be a bit more like Van Halen with with recognizing these small moments that are bigger indicators of potential safety problems, these small you know brown M and M moments. Um, you know, with that in mind, if you're interested in a tripwire and you've got practices who are particularly shoving batches of prescriptions in your face and you're not happy with it, um, we I, I used um, this brilliant prescribing survey that I um, I used a brilliant document to develop the prescribing survey and I put it in spit as well. So if you've got a practice that's getting on at you, get them to sign up to spit. It's free. Um, get them to look uh, in in the working here section, practice uh, policies and procedures, and the the, prescri- the practice prescribing procedure policy area is there, and it asks them some key questions that give, really give you a nice summary of how things work in their practice. And they might just look at it and think, oh, I can't answer those, I'll leave it alone. But it's again, it's a tripwire. Oh, if you give me, but if they can't answer those, that's a red that's, that's a red a light, isn't because it? Because it is it is basic things they should know, oh. but it just goes through each step of the oh. repeat prescribing process and you know tell me how I do this then before I sign these and uh, it might uh, discourage them from asking you it might get them to reflect that uh, you know that actually maybe they need to to re-examine things for that at their end mm. um, it's just and it also signals that this is an important job and again the comments from the locum surveys this is happening a lot where people feel pressured they may be not given access to the notes or not time to look at the notes and and um, to sort of hold the line you know on on quality that there's an article we're going to talk about in a second called letting go but i think when it comes to quality and uh safety and our personal you know our personal medical legal safety but importantly patient safety you know there is a certain line that has to be held and spotting these trip wires mm. 
I, st- I still lie awake in bed at night when the, the, the case I had of a some again some someone knocked on the door and, and didn't introduce themselves but said you know here's a prescription of some chloramphenicol can you sign it please and I thought well, can eye drops you mean uh, eye drops oh, yeah. yeah and and um, and uh, I, I, they said uh, it turned out that it was for a painful red eye and I actually ended up I, I admitted that patient uh, with acute glaucoma and then had an operation uh, later that yeah, night yeah. and but had I not asked that have I just accepted it at face value to just sign the the the, um, the chloramphenicol I think yeah yeah and we I every single meeting I go to and I can think of a handful of cases over my my practice where where you have those near misses like that and it's not it's not it's not scary it's just to try and you know edge towards that culture where these we use these small moments to reflect and um yeah so so that that, that's um our our medico legal slant for for this edition and then uh we talked about the letting go article Mm. um called letting go by sonia taylor hutton Sorry, oh, Hutton Taylor. I'm so sorry, Sonia. <laughs> and she, Sonia Hutton Taylor, GP herself, but also is a career mentor and works uh, runs medical forum. And she, back in December, Sonia started this really interesting series of articles based around what she sees as the new top skills for general practice. And she sort of starts by saying, you know, ten years ago, if you'd asked me what what do I need to be a GP, you know, I would have. Said, oh, you have great communication skills, patience, a love of lifelong learning, and all those things still hold. But on top of that, there's this sort of extra layer now of skills that you need to keep afloat. And she's written this series of articles based on them, and they are um, setting boundaries, assertiveness, sort of recharging, and looking out for burnout. And this is her last in the series called called Letting Go, and I think it's about this this idea that we all of us have these subconscious beliefs or scripts that we run about things that we feel we're tied to that we that we have to do and we may not even realize they're there but they can be ticking away in the background causing you know normal pressure and conflict within us and it's that about that moment of thinking what's going on here stepping back what what can I let go and that's really she makes the point that for people with a medical career, that's really hard because mm. there's so much out there about, you know, almost this machismo. Really, well, also we're taught to going. be perfectionists, aren't we? It's 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 almost of a almost a key attribute. Well, there it? is this massive dichotomy, as I say, where you you know you you're taught to be a perfectionist, but you can be interrupted, you know, <laughs> in the middle of an 18 patient surgery to go and divert to look at somebody yeah. else's yeah, patient. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, there's a real. There's a system failure there. It's not an individual failure. It's a system yeah. that we need to change the behaviour of, which is what hoping Spip does, and this is also what what uh, Sonia alludes to in this as well. By the way, all Sonia's articles are fantastically relevant to general practice. She writes them specifically for the NESGP. I think though she might be a trained as an op- 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 ophthalmologist. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't. I, I, but but I, knew, I, I, I might have that wrong. Medical. I knew she was medical. Oh, she's but definitely they, medical. They, I mean, they're also. I mean the letting go. Um, I mean Sonia, it, it it's very personal as well. It's a it's a mm, personal. It's a great stra- uh, tool that mm. she's talking about there uh, that you can use in all areas of your life. So really interesting, and thanks to Sonia for that. Um, moving on to uh, the, uh, the our financial uh, looking protecting yourself financially this 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 edition. There is an article called "Get Yourself Covered," and this is by I think she's an old old. Colleague Pal, of yours, yes. old pal Linda Cox at Practice Cover, and well, I'll, 
Do you well, want I, to say about it? Yeah, or? yeah. Well, I've, I've known Linda for years. She's been, um, I've been asking her for advice uh, for the NESGP and vice versa. And um, she, Linda works for uh, Practice Cover. Uh, who do, they do um, insurance for GP practices um, to cover partners and salary GPs should they go off sick and therefore the practice can then pay for a locum. Um, but but we've, we've been speaking to, to Linda about the... Um, a policy from the other way around to help protect us as locums if we go off sick so she's put together this 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 product specifically for gp locums and she's giving nasgp members a 10 percent discount mm -hmm. and also she's um give it, added a few extra little things in it for us um and this will cover you for for sickness accident and jury service oh, as well yeah you got stung by that i got you? stung by that very interesting two weeks but um but um it was a two uh, weeks, two weeks. Mm. yes it was a uh, um, a forensic case, um, death in custody. But yes, anyway, very interesting. Um, so she, Linda's put, put this, this through to us. And so have have a good look. There's um, there's Linda's article, and, and a couple of pages later, there's a an actual advert related about the um, yeah about the details there. And there's a code and a phone number. Yeah. And, and and it segs really well with an article that Kevin Walker, another one of our very kind advisors, um, did uh, in the last edition. I think it was yeah about permanent. Health, health insurance, insurance or income protection, yeah. as otherwise known. So, so, so there's the permanent, health uh, permanent health insurance, income protection, yes, that tends to cover from quite a late deferment period because it's very expensive and it will last you from the end of your deferment period, which could be a month or a year, all the way up until you retire. That's a long time and they're expensive. They're expensive, but I, I have one of these and I remember when I was being advised... They're expensive because they're because they're expensive to pay out, and yeah. they're actually reasonably likely to be used. I mean, you're actually more likely to have a long term illness. Mm. They're, they're than not die. nowhere near as expensive <laughs> as if you don't have a policy. So, so yeah, but I get that. The deferment period is key, isn't it, mm. to the cost of your income protection and permanent health insurance. And the longer you, you can get that deferment period, the longer you can hold off and not activate an income protection policy the cheaper that policy is going to be for you. So this is where Linda's carefully designed product kind of comes in and plugs the gap. Mm. It, it uh, stops at twelve uh, after 12 months, which your other policy, your PHI. And it's, it's something about, she was saying in the article, it doesn't um, doesn't depend on your age or uh, uh, health at the start of it. So it's just because it's relatively time restricted, I guess. Yeah. Um, it's it's you know you don't have to fulfil lots of age and and health requirements so int really interesting and we are not independent financial advisors ourselves or of any sort but so we're not giving advice but um... does 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 this at all relate to the other the you know constant um, trickle of inquiries but often sometimes very big inquiries there was a big story sad story recently about the, the, the death, death in, in service, service of the yeah NHS well pension th this policy welcome. doesn't um, doesn't cover death in service but it's it's a, not a too dissimilar product at all which is um, yeah, but in a nutshell um, when NHGP started 20 years ago when we got it going GP locums were the only people in the NHS who didn't get NHS pension scheme so we lobbied for it and 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 we, 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 with help from the BMA we got um, death uh, de we, we got what NHS pensions but it was missing the death in service whether that was some sort of oversight or whether that's been was negotiated out as in traded off with, with something else I don't know um, and uh, uh, but anyway, so, so the situation is with local GPs is we don't get death in service, death in service, which is basically a life insurance policy. So um, that's just something obviously that that uh, uh, locums could really benefit from is 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 
letting go yeah. of that, you know, let's hold yes. out until the NHS pensions change, which I just don't think it, it will. Um, and and it, that is a, will be a very, very hard-to-fight battle. So, so for a relatively small cost, taking out our own life insurance policies, and you know, and adding that extra cost uh, to our to our invoices, log into the NESGP invoicing system and add the twenty p a day or whatever it is to your yeah. to your invoice to, to to cover that. But it's something we do need to be very smart about. So be aware. Um, I think. Well, I'm I'm very glad we have got the pen, the pen, the pension that we have. It's, oh, yeah. it's light years ahead. In fact, I I was sort of about to become a locum at about that time, and when all the locum A and locum B forms got started, and it is it is great that as freelancers we can access it. It's only right, I think, you know, the justice of we're seeing NHS patients. We're making a massive contribution to the NHS, but it does have its limits, and being aware of that. Yeah. Um, we've got a bit of clinical stuff as well um um colleagues at gp update who you know, specialize in taking uh, reviews and guidelines and making them very gp friendly and re- you call it the clinical nuggets is yes that right? yeah <laughs> yes it's, it's, it's part of their put their their red whale pearls of wisdom um and and yes this one is on it's a premenstrual disorder mm. premenstrual disorder um so can be quite emotive consultations these can't they because people often come in you know it's a big theme it's because of my hormones it's and sometimes the trick is sometimes to spot whether there is actually a truly cyclical nature to it or whether it is actually part of a more continuous problem and they're barking up the wrong tree just focusing on their on their hormones um and the, the gp update team make the point that there are over 200 symptoms you know both psychological and physiological that can be included under the umbrella of premenstrual disorder but the key thing being it's a cyclical nature so typically it's people getting symptoms in the luteal phase so sort of mid-cycle to the start of their period uh 15 to day 15 to 28 days with these symptoms and then they tend to get some respite they will they should be getting respite in the follicular phase the early part of their cycle if it's premenstrual disorder and people can you know it ranges from mild to very severe um treatment wise in general practice um the mild end they talk about the lifestyle and you know is there a case for it used to be vitamin b6 didn't it that was yeah was that primrose oil there was, was there was some stuff about omega three, polyunsaturated, you know, the polyunsaturated yeah, fatty acids. Yes. That's not even mentioned here. They talk about weak, they talk about weak, um, weak evidence again, you know, as compared to placebo for your things like the Agnes Castor and B six and um, not nice. I think don't go that way, but I think GP update have looked at it more recently, so. I think with B six it was it was the people were taking mega doses back a few years ago I and it was, was associated problem, with it? neurological toxicity. So they're quite they don't mention doses, but beware of chucking too much B six at things. When you talk about it being emotive, I remember as a as a GP trainee, a, a lady who had actually stabbed her husband in the hand um, with such bad uh, PMS had come to see me and, and wanted to know. Um, um, what she should be taking, and I remember saying, "Well, really, two options I can offer. We can offer these days. It's sort of an anti short, sharp dose of an antidepressant, or a, or the 
B6 Primrose Oil, whatever. Oh, yes, yeah. And she slammed both fists on the table. And she said, I'll take both. <laughs> <laughs> so she, bless her. Well, bless that, her. I think that hints at it that, it, it, you know, it, at the other end of the scale, it can be really severe. Yeah. You know, it oh, can yeah. be. And I know, um, so just heading on to the treatments, the only licensed treatment in the UK, I think at the moment, is, is uh, progesterones in the luteal phase. However, GP updates, although it's licensed, there's no evidence for it. So you've got this mixture of unlicensed things with some evidence and licensed things with no evidence. Um, so when you're getting into the more moderate phases, things that a GP might go to, um, is the, the newer generation combined oral contraceptive pills, you know, you'd think it'd be a no-brainer, suppress ovulation with a, a combined oral contraceptive pill, but that didn't always used to be the case. I think it is the newer ones that yeah, are showing more promise, and I think there's a lower-dose version of a sort of Yasmin over in the US, which has got a licence. Um, we've only got Yasmin here, which is a bit higher dose than that one, but th- they're talking about newer generation or Yasmin pills uh, p- perhaps being helpful. And then, I mean, they're really severe and I think you're moving on more to the you know, maybe referrals the, the people um, I think I've heard gynecologists giving transdermal oestrogen and things like this um, in, in, you know, cyclically to really? help this yeah uh, well so there's, anyway there's there's more there I can't pretend to be um, a specialist gyne but it's quite quite interesting the change the changes this, mm. this this sort of diffuse topic which is really difficult and to it's treat. something without really much to actually help them with to, to be armed with this sort of information it, it gives gives one gives us confidence and i think we that that comes across to the patient that hopefully yeah. hopefully yeah. That, uh, that we sort of do know what we're talking about and that's probably why we're not able to offer too much hope and uh, the, i think there were coming it's just trying different strategies and I mean, obviously yeah. um um cbt there was yeah mild milder end it's lifestyle exercise cbt uh recognition that that's you know what's going on um and 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 so but probably for gps in practice um newer generations pills um and ssris perhaps mm. either cyclically or continuously mm. if they've got more continuous symptoms um so where are we up to um We've got we've got a lovely, lovely, um, very, very sunny piece from Linda Moran in Australia. Lindsay, yes, Lindsay. Sorry, there's Who's... two. There's a Linda in this and a Lindsay. I'm so sorry, <laughs> Lindsay. And Lindsay's got some great news mm-hmm. that she's she's pregnant mm-hmm. and she's doubly happy because actually the environment for pregnant GPs in in Australia seems to be very uh, welcoming, and uh, unlike. She makes the point that unlike British general practice, there is actually a scarcity of female GPs in Australia. And perhaps for that, perhaps for other system-based reasons, we don't really know. This has not been in any way seen as negative. She still feels very sought after and valued, um, which can be a bit in contrast to here. Um, yeah, well, that was certainly her experience, isn't it? But again, like we're saying, it's with, with this siege mentality that we have to be adopting busy. almost when we're so busy, when we're so overstretched in general practice, that um, it comes across in, in that sort of way, which is which is a shame. But again, it's not an in, it's not individuals; it's the system. That's right, and, that we and need to change. You know, practices have to have to survive, and they're they're set up to, to they have to look after their interests because that looks after their patients' interests. And whilst to the whole system, it might seem 
you know, daft that a, a, a young GP in their 30s or 40s who's pregnant to make that investment in, in keeping that person in the workforces and making them feel welcome and valued is a great thing. One can understand it's it's tricky. Yeah. Um, but it's so good on Australia for, for whatever they're doing, that bright spot in their system. Yeah. And we've learned a new word this week, haven't we? Yeah. Prosopagnosia. Thank you. Um, so Judith Harvey such uh, a stalwart she's a she's a, g- a great writer and a great thinker and uh, say the word again Richard Prosopagnosia yes. this is his face I, 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 blindness that's, that's taking me about half an hour to learn that today <laughs> it's a face blindness and mm. um, do, you, do you, so in this article you, I think probably you have to read it yourself to fully appreciate it I can't do it full justice but um, in, in Judith's typical erudite way she brings in everything from quantum physics to um spectrums be they um to do with our attitudes to to migrants to attitudes to clinical conditions and um she's just brilliant yeah Yeah. you have to read it it's well worth reading um and you not not this isn't in the magazine but this is this business about the confusion over form solo yeah this is just in uh here we are in the the early parts of october and um the nhs pensions people have just recently released a new locum fact sheet uh, and in that, it talked, it's got a, got a, some help about if you're locum in a practice more than six months, what do you do about your pension arrangements? Well, in this locum fact sheet, it says, it doesn't say you can't use form solo. What it does say is that you can still use a contract for services. And if you look at form solo, form solo is the form to use if you're using a contract of services with an NHS pensions employer. And if you, um, we've got it on, on the website in our pensions FAQs on Form Solo. Sorry about the plane going uh, over. We actually live by an air, Goodwood Airport, and that's, <laughs> that's a, it's not a Spitfire, is, is it? It, but it might be. I can't see. No, just, you can you can you, you learn no do anything about planes, but <laughs> learning. Um, yes, so so uh, you can actually the, online you can look up. Um, we've got the links on in our FAQs on the Form Solo. Look, look up your employing. Your practice and see if it is an employing practice. Are most of them scheme. employing authorities? I, the ones I checked um, are all, all uh, Well, I think because it, it, it's a different form, but they talk about the. Imp- yeah, I'm pretty sure there's something about employing authorities on the other pension paperwork, isn't there? Oh, yes, I think, exactly. Are. Yes, I think that, that's the whole point. They just have to be. A, they're, they're not a private company. So through those links, it would seem from those official sort of that official published advice and those links it, making that putting that together it sounds like the very much form solo form is what you is. would use however there have been, I've, I've, I've been sent a couple of copied into a couple of emails between various pensions administrators who have been told that you can't use form solo but these are only emails there's nothing published so we've asked the NHS pensions people at the top for clarification on this because um, it's, it's different people saying different things and there's enough confusion out there at the moment with locum pensions and capita and not getting payment receipts yeah. and your money cashed and all of that so it's a it's a bit of a mess and this doesn't really help. The pensions people in my dealings with them have always been really really helpful and lovely and I'm expecting a really good, um, robust reply giving the, um, the, the the black and white to this. So um, when when that reply comes through, um, how will we get it out there? It will go through all our channels. It'll be on the, in, in the FAQ. I'll put it on Facebook group, Facebook page. I'll mention it in the next email newsletter as well. When, when, when as soon as we hear, so you'll get to hear about okay, it. Okay, you got it covered. 
Got it covered. Thank you. Well, right. Thank you very much, Sarah, for that. That's been uh, really interesting to talk to you about that. And um, hope you enjoy listening to this podcast. Please do go to iTunes and subscribe. Then they'll just be automatically downloaded onto your player. Of course, you can use Google Play as well. It's on. Um, And um, yeah, uh, thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye bye.